1: Welcome to the Life Study program on Free FM 89.0. I'm Stuart Finlay. Life Study of the Bible is produced by Living Stream Ministry Anaheim, California, and brought to you by the Church in Hamilton. These programs are based on the ministry of Witness Lee and his 21 year crowning work, The Life Study of the Bible, which focuses on the enjoyment of Christ as the divine life as revealed in the Scriptures. We hope that through these studies you will get a deeper appreciation of our dear Lord Jesus. This week, Francis Ball is back with Witness Lee for our third program in the Life Study of the Gospel of John, titled Life Processed for Multiplication. The verses are John chapter 20, verses 1 through 3. If you'd like to contact us, our email address is lifestudyprogram at gmail.com, which we will repeat again later. Now, here's Francis and Witness Lee. Francis, in
2: our last program, we had a wonderful presentation dealing with the two aspects of the Lord's death. Could you review the aspect of redemption and the aspect of imparting life in light of the account of the crucifixion seen in the Gospel of John?
3: Well, the account of the crucifixion in the Gospel of John is different in the fact that it brings out these two aspects. In the other Gospels, it only mentions the redemptive aspect. But in the Gospel of John you do have the two aspects which are shown by the two substances that came out of his side. In verse 34 of chapter 19 it says, One of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and immediately there came out blood and water. When the soldier pierced his side, out came blood, that's for the redemptive aspect, and water, that's for the life aspect. This is indicated, of course, Throughout the, the Bible. In Hebrews 9, 22, it tells us, uh, without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness. So Christ's blood was shed for the forgiveness of sins. In 1 John 1, 7, also, it, it mentions the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from every sin. So this is the aspect of redemption in Christ's crucifixion. In the other aspect, shown in the substance of the water that came out of his side, which shows us that his death was a life-imparting death. When he died, his divine life was released, and that's shown by the flowing out of the water. It's like the grain of wheat in chapter 12. Life comes up, and it bears much fruit. Christ's death was a releasing of his divine life. This life is imparted into us and is for the producing of the church. So when he died, not only he dealt with our sins, but he also imparted life into us. So these two aspects, the redemptive aspect and the life aspect, with the blood and the water, is brought out in John's account of the crucifixion of Christ.
2: Thank you, Francis. We're going to pick up our life study with a very wonderful but often overlooked detail of the resurrection. Here's Witness Lee.
0: Now, hallelujah. We have come to the resurrection. He passed the examination. He passed the sentence. He passed the death test. And he also passed the resting in human honor. After all, now he resurrected. In divine glory. Amen. First of all, we have to see this uh, first day of the week. This is the biggest day in the whole Bible. I could only point out to you all the different aspects of this wonderful biggest day. It is called the first day of the week. This means it is a beginning. A week is seven days as a period of time, and the first day of the week is the beginning, the start of this period, and period here signifies age. So this is the beginning, the start of a new age. This first day of the week in which the Lord Jesus resurrected was a day appointed by God. Psalms 118 and 24 says, This is the day appointed by the Lord. If you read the context there, you could see that refers to the day of the Lord's resurrection. Secondly, the day called this day in Psalm seven. This day I have begotten you. Third day, it is called the third day predicted by the Lord. He prophesied a few times that after he will be crucified, on the third day he will rise up from the dead. Fourthly, this day was later on called by the early saints, the Lord's day. In Revelation chapter 1, verse 10. He resurrected as the first fruit of resurrection. You have to read carefully First Corinthians 15, verses 20 through 23. He was begotten in resurrection to be the firstborn son of, of God. Listen to this. As the unique, only begotten Son of God, he didn't need to be begotten. But for him, the unique, only begotten Son of God, to become the firstborn Son of so many sins, he needed to be born in resurrection. You have to spend much time, I would say, on Acts 13, verses 33, and Hebrew 1, verse 5. Those two verses tell us that in resurrection, God's unique son was born the first sin of so many sins.
2: If we could break in here, Francis, following this section on the resurrection, of course there is so much significance to this event but would you please speak a little more on the matter of christ being begotten in resurrection to be the firstborn son of god
3: yes this is a a, a troubling term to some people because we we heard so much about him being the only begotten son of god john 3:16 is a very popular verse everyone learned god so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in Him would not perish but have eternal life. And also you have a couple of references in chapter 1 of Him being the only begotten Son. So uh, this term is quite familiar with Christians and non-Christians, that Christ is the only begotten Son of God. But here, this matter brings out another aspect of Christ. After His incarnation and even His death and in His resurrection, he bears another title, the firstborn Son of God. Why? Because in his incarnation, he took on something that he was not before. He was the only begotten Son from eternity. But when he became incarnated, he took on humanity. And this humanity could not be called the Son of God. But through death and resurrection, this humanity was uplifted, transformed, and brought into the divine Sonship. So now he can be called in his resurrection the firstborn Son of God. And the fact that he's referred to as the firstborn indicates that there are more to come. There will be more sons of God. So when Christ was resurrected, his humanity was uplifted, and according to Romans chapter 1, he was designated in his humanity to be the Son of God. In that aspect, He's the firstborn Son of God. Not only so, but He will also bring forth many sons. The fact that He's first means there must be a second, a third, and as we know, millions who are brought forth by His resurrection into this sonship. So that we know that we have been born sons of God by a new birth which transpired in His resurrection. So in Acts 13... Verse 33, it says, This day have I begotten you. If you look at those verses in that context, this day have I begotten you refers to the day of Christ's resurrection. He was begotten in His humanity as the firstborn Son of God. And in Romans chapter 8, verse 29, it indicates that He's the firstborn among many brothers. We are the many brothers.
2: Thank you, Francis. Now let's rejoin Witness Lee.
0: When he resurrected, he left something in the tomb. John, never forget, is a book of allegory. Whatever's here, it has some significance. He was buried not in a naked way. He was buried in a way that he was wrapped up. He was wrapped with the best linen. He didn't go in to the tomb merely by himself. But he went into the tomb with something of the old creation. And that signifies the old creation was brought into the tomb by his burial. He, in a sense, wore, W-O-R-E, worthy of creation, and went into the tomb and was buried there. Then he resurrected from the dead. He rose up from the dead. But he left all the wrapping things in the tomb. This signifies he resurrected from the dead, living all the old creation which he brought into the tomb there as a testimony that he walked away from death. We all have to realize in a spiritual sense, In the sight of God, the whole old creation was buried there in that little tomb. Whether you believe or you don't believe, I tell you, this is a wonderful fact. Including your old man. Including the old you. Including your old self. The old creation was buried in the tomb of Jesus and laid there. Pray the Lord. There is such a wonderful tomb. We've all been buried there.
2: Francis, let's break in here again. We are going to come back to this point, but I wanted to pause and let you share on this wonderful point of the Lord going into death, wearing his burial garments, But then in resurrection, he left them in the tomb. What does this signify?
3: Well, as Witness Lee pointed out, the linen with which his body was wrapped for burial is something of the old creation. And it really represents the whole old creation. This signifies that the old creation was taken with him into the grave, and it was left there. That, to me, is a marvelous revelation that garment that He was wrapped with, signifying the old creation, shows that the old creation did not come out of the tomb. He was wrapped with this linen, which is something of the old creation. He didn't go into the grave with nothing. He went into the grave with something of the old creation. But when He came out of the grave in resurrection, He left that old creation in the tomb. That old creation is the old self, the old I, the old nature. Everything of our old nature was taken into that tomb and was left there. Our old nature, our old self, everything of our old creation was buried with Christ, and when he rose, it was left there. This means to us that we need to leave the old creation where he left it. It is in the tomb.
2: Francis, let me ask a follow-up question. You made the point about the old creation being left in the tomb What does it mean to leave our old man in the tomb where the Lord put us? How do we practice this in our daily life? Well,
3: of course, I don't mean that you uh, physically have to go put yourself in a grave. But the fact that Christ uh, left the old creation in the grave there and came out in resurrection indicates that you and I should be people who believe in Christ, who have Him living in us, we should be living by the resurrection life. We should be contacting the Lord in our spirit and not just living our natural fallen way, but we live by another life. When we got resurrected with Christ, that put us into another realm in our spiritual reality. In ourself, we are still in the old creation. So the point here is not to live in our old man, in our old creation, but to live in the new life which we got when we received Christ and He came into our spirit to be life to us. Then instead of living just by our mind, by the appetites of our body, we now need to live by the spirit of life who is in our spirit by contacting the Lord, calling on His name, praying, fellowshipping so that we keep ourselves in resurrection in our daily living.
2: Now let's go back to Witness Lee.
0: Not only so, listen to this. Those wrapping things were left there not in messy situation. It was in a very good outer. The napkins and so forth, you know, were folded nicely. And left in the proper place. Who took off the linen from the Lord Jesus? And who took off the napkin from his head? And who folded those things? And left there in a good order? What would you suggest? Not the angels? It was not done by the angels. It was then by the Lord himself. The Lord Jesus was the resurrecting one. He rose up by himself. Surely he didn't need the help of the angels. Well, what were the angels doing there? They were just observing, becoming the witnesses. Of course, I didn't see it and no one took a picture and showed me. But I do believe after the Lord lying there for resting up to the point that the time was full. He told death. Death now the time is full. I am going to rise up and to go out of your domain. And uh, I will take off all the wrappings from my resurrected body and keep everything in good order and live here as a testimony of my rising up from you to my two disciples (laughs) who are coming to look at the situation. And after this kind of talk, he said, Little Dad, goodbye. And he walked out of it. He was not in a rush. He was not so excited. He was uh, very much at peace. He looked around the little (laughs) dad, and uh, the little dad can do nothing with him. Dad was still trying its best to retain him, to hold him, but no possibility for dad to do this kind of thing. He took off the wrappings and he folded. Everything in a good order, and he put in the right place an other piece from his head, and he folded in another piece while the little dad was watching. <laughs> he did everything in an easy way. Nothing was threatening him. He woke up from his sleep without any rush, without any excitement. And he would say, Dear goodbye. I have finished my mission. Now is the time for me to walk out of your domain. I tell you, this is the real situation of the Lord rising up from the dead. Even the two angels, my goodness, they were sitting, one at uh, the place where the head of the Lord Jesus was, and the other at the place where his feet were. You know, these two Little angels were there just like the two cherubim on the propitiation cover. Watching and observing how the glorious Lord, who is the resurrection, did a wonderful job to walk out of. The threatening death, threatening not to Jesus, but to all others. And the two angels were watching, observing. So they became the strongest witnesses that the Lord Jesus resurrected. No hurry, no rush, no fear. I tell you, I do believe so. Based upon what? Just upon this point, everything left there in a good outer. Isn't this marvelous? <laughs> By the way, I wish to point out one thing more. That is, the testimony of the Lord's resurrection was of two sources. One is from men. You know, all the writings were offered to the Lord by two honorable disciples, Joseph and Nicodemus. Eventually, what they offered to the Lord by their love toward the Lord became a solid, substantial testimony of the Lord's resurrection. And another (laughs) source, that is, God sent angels to be the testimony. So you can see this is the testimony prepared, sent by God. One source is of man on the earth, the other source is of God from the heavens. Praise the Lord. Both man and God, heaven and earth, (laughs) were there as a testimony of the resurrection
2: Jesus. Francis, let's come back to this marvelous scene in the tomb on the day of resurrection. Here, the Lord is presented in such a wonderful stature. What can we see by the way in which He left the garments in resurrection?
3: You know, it's quite significant that the garments that He left there in His resurrection were not just uh, thrown out, not just loosely uh, discarded, I think if I was going to resurrect, I would just throw everything uh, wild. Hallelujah, I'm out. I'm leaving this place of death. But the Lord didn't do this. He was very careful. Everything was wrapped and folded. Everything was left in a proper order. That handkerchief that was about His face or His head was wrapped and put in a place by itself. All this indicates that in resurrection there is a real order. There's something very significant about this. For us to live the resurrection life would mean that we live an orderly life. But that's not the main thing. The main thing that's here in this particular case is that these garments were left there in this orderly way as a testimony of His resurrection. So when these two disciples came there, they could see a real evidence that this was not something like... Someone got in and stole his body, as was reported. No. The fact that these grave clothes were left in an orderly, proper way, nothing messy, was a real testimony that he did this himself. He resurrected. The angels didn't do this. He himself put his grave clothes there as a testimony from the human side. And then also there were the two angels that were there from the divine side to give a testimony. So this fact in both aspects, a divine testimony with the angels and a physical testimony with the the grave clothes folded were kept there as a testimony for these two disciples to see and for us to even have today as a uh, testimony that his resurrection was him resurrecting himself.
2: That really is a wonderful testimony. Thank you, Francis
1: we have been considering how life was processed for multiplication. After passing through the examination, the sentencing, and the testing of death, he rested in human honor. Then after passing through the death portion of the process, Christ resurrected in divine glory. Now having resurrected, he is in the divine glory. We're always happy to hear from you and to answer any questions you may have. We have copies of the recovery version of the New Testament with its accompanying footnotes available, and these are free. We'd love to send you a copy. You can call us on Hamilton 853 2620 or email us at lifestudyprogram at gmail.com. If you'd rather, you can order a free copy from Bibles for New Zealand. That's bfnz.org.nz. They also have a phone number, 0800 40, 40 80. Join me again next week at the same time, 2.30 p.m., when we'll have the next life study in the book of John. We close with the hymn Why Should I Worry, Doubt or Fear and it's from the CD On the Table of Thy Love You're listening to FreeFM 89.0, a great station supported by New Zealand On Air. We hope you've enjoyed today's life study program and thank you for joining us.
3: Thanks for listening to this
0: Free FM podcast. If you want to hear more content like this, you can support FreeFM via Patreon. Head to patreon.com slash freefm89
3: to find out more.